morning. Hope you're good. I feel like uh, most football fans who reside in the state of Georgia are probably smiling this morning, right? Had a good week. Georgia Southern uh, pulled it out. Big win. Big win there in Georgia over Florida. Um, I do ask that you keep in your prayers some of the folks here who are Gator fans. I know we have a few, so I know it's a, a rough weekend for them and praying for them and um, hoping that they will rebound. So anyway, um, looking forward to this morning, and we're going to be in the book of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians um, and the first chapter. So if you want to turn there, um, we're going to be looking at this uh, letter um, this morning. It was written by the Apostle Paul, um, who wrote many of the books of the New Testament. Um, a lot of them are letters to churches. Some of them are letters uh, to people who he's writing to encourage and give instruction to. Um, this one is written to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul, if you want to read the background, a little bit of background that we have about Paul um, starting this church in Thessalonica, you can look back at Acts chapter 17, and this is telling us about when the church in Thessalonica was founded, um, some things that happened there. Paul goes into Thessalonica. Um, he is, uh, goes to the, a synagogue, which is the place where Jewish people worshiped, um, and so he goes there, which it says is his custom. This is what he did when he went into um, new towns, new cities. He would go to the synagogue. He began to uh, talk to them about how Jesus is the fulfillment of um, the Old Testament prophecies and the Old Testament law. And he would begin to show them this. He does that there. It tells us that some Jews uh, began to follow Christ. Um, there were quite a few of the Greek um, believers or God-fearers, as they're called, who um, had converted to Judaism, who began to follow um, Christ. And it said some prominent women began to follow Christ. And so there were a lot of different uh, people. So the gospel had um, taken effect there um, in this uh, fairly small group of folks. We also see, though, where some of the Jewish people were jealous of what was happening and so they got together and got gathered up some what the, the Bible calls some bad characters. And they sort of rallied them against Paul and against um, the Christians there. And so Paul basically, through a riot, gets run out of town. And so he has to leave and um, goes on to the next place. Well, as we look at this now, the book of Thessalonica was written by Paul back to these young Christians. The first um, book to the, or letter to the uh, Thessalonians and the second letter to the Thessalonians, both written from Corinth, where Paul got about three cities later um, in his journey, and it written back to these early baby young Christians. Um, and this is really within a few weeks or um, just a handful of months that he's writing back to them. It has not been a very long period of time. We know that Paul was not in Thessalonica much more than about a month. And so he was there for a short period of time. The gospel had taken effect there. There was this small group of Christians who now are coming under intense persecution. Paul's writing back to them um, the first and second letter of Thessalonians to encourage them to stand firm in the faith and to correct a few questions that they were having as some people were coming in and teaching them some things that were not accurate. And so that's where we're at. We're going to read um, 2 Thessalonians um, 
chapter one. Let's just read the whole chapter. Then we'll come back and we'll begin to look at it and um, take it apart and kind of see what Paul is telling them and how he's encouraging them. I feel like if we can see how Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians, then we too can be encouraged by the same things as we are of the same faith. We, we know Christ in the same way. We can be encouraged in this day the same way that they were in that day. So let's read uh, the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians. It says in verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. I don't know, it's on my heart just to encourage you with this, that maybe right now you put yourself in the place of these Thessalonians. Maybe right now you begin to think as if you were there. You're in a place that has become very hostile towards you because of your faith in Jesus. And you're hearing these words from Paul as he's written back to you to give this encouragement. Maybe in your own life you're in a place where... Uh, maybe it's not outward persecution, but uh, inwardly there's anxiety, there's fear, there's things going on in your life. And maybe if we can put ourselves where these Thessalonians were and hear these words in a fresh way from Paul, they can encourage us in our own heart. So verse 3, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love of all of you have for one another is increasing. Paul's saying, I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. We ought always pray for you because of this. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you, have, you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for I thank you for those who've gone before us, God, who have preserved this good news for us, God. I thank you, God, that today we could hear it with fresh ears, that we could see, God, the hope we have in Christ. Even in the difficult times, Lord, I pray that we would 
not look to what is temporary, but God, we would fix our eyes on what's eternal, what is sure, what is secure. God, I thank you for that. I pray that in the next few minutes you would speak to our hearts, that we would leave here encouraged in the faith with a desire to draw nearer to you, Lord. God, that our faith too would grow and be ever increasing, that our love for one another, God, would be ever increasing, that we would truly be people who um, it is known that we follow you because of the way we love you and love each other. I do a work in our hearts that we cannot do, Lord. Speak truth to our hearts today, Lord, and renew our mind to see the way you see it. God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's some things that in life are really sure. Um, I was here Friday morning um, for the prayer time at 7, um, which we're, we're not doing anymore, by the way. I'm supposed to announce that because um, nobody comes. So anyway, uh, we're, we're not doing that. But I was here that morning, and there was actually one person who's here pretty much on Fridays, occasion, most of the time. And, and we were, had gone in, we were praying, and then we came out, and the sun had come up. And I kind of jokingly made the comment that, um, well, good to see the sun came up again. And uh, he was like, yeah, it would have been pretty bad if it had. And I was like, yeah, probably a little bit of panic would have taken place. But it's kind of one of those things we don't really think a lot about. It's just something that we kind of figure is going to happen, that the sun is going to come up. We're pretty sure of that. And um, we pretty much know that uh, that's going to take place. And, and so um, we kind of expect it. There are other things that we can be sure of that um, for example, having a child, when, when you have a child, you kind of go into that with the understanding that they're going to be messy diapers, right? If you go into having a child and you don't expect messy diapers, you are very much deceived, right? If you go in and you're having a child and you don't expect nasty, like sticky bottles that get left under the seat of the car and when you find them three months late, later, my advice to you, if you encounter that situation, throw it away under no circumstances should you open it, right? You're going to have those things. There's going to be mess. There's going to be things that you have to clean up. Um, even as they grow, there's going to be things you have to clean up and you take care of them. It's one of the greatest blessings you'll ever have in life, but it's also one of the most challenging things you'll ever do in being a parent. Another thing that I think about in line with that and, and in Proverbs 14 4 it mentions this that it says where there's no ox in the barn the stall is clean or the stall is empty but it's through the strength of the ox that the harvest comes and I think about that a lot of times with people because the truth is that you can have a nice neat church or a nice neat life you can have everything that is clean and there's no mess in your life the the problem with it is you can't have that and have people in your life right because people are messy it's like the proverb says you can have a clean stall if any of you have ever raised animals that you had to clean up after you know that that can become a a, a a daunting task over and over that can become something you don't really want to do every day over and over and over but he says look if you're going to have a harvest if if you're going to uh, produce uh what what 
um, you're trying to produce, you've got to have the ox. With the ox comes the mess. And for us as people, it's the same way. We can go through life, we could probably isolate ourselves from people and, and not have a lot of mess in our life. But as soon as people come into our life, it gets messy. People are messy. Um, people are challenging. It's just the way it is. We all are. Some are more so than others, but we're all challenging to some degree. And when we think about that in life around us, one of the things that I'm as sure of as the sun coming up or having messes to clean up if you have a child or having messes that are going to exist in your life if you have people around you is that every person here today has some kind of mess in their life. Every person here today has some kind of challenge in their life. Every person here today probably has some source of anxiety. You have some source of, of something that wants to rule your thoughts. It is something that has a tendency to take over your life. As we look at the Thessalonians, it's real easy to see um, a, a physical a way that their life is being put into somewhat of a mess. It's this outward persecution that's coming against them. You can see this. It's something that where they're being attacked. We know that the root behind this is spiritual, but we don't have to struggle to see what's happening, that they are being physically attacked. Where it's interesting to me in the United States is I look around and I don't see a ton of physical attack, although it's becoming more and more common in the United States for Christians and the church to be attacked. Um, it's, it's not something I look around at and we're not in here right now huddled up together with the lights off and a candle lit so we can read the Bible because we think we're about to have a riot because we're worshiping Jesus. We don't see that here. Thank God at this point we don't. But the thing that I see happening in the church and in Christians is that instead of it being an attack from the outside that is really clear, the church here is eroding from the inside. That the challenge for the church here is not from the outside. We're falling apart from the inside. It's why nine out of 10 people who go into ministry don't make it. Nine out of 10 don't make it. Why? It's not because of the physical persecution they're enduring from the outside. We might get a criticism here and there because the music's too loud or the message was too long or, you know, you didn't wear the right shoes or whatever it might be. But it's not where we're getting attacked in this way. But nine out of 10 don't make it. Why is that? It's because on the inside, we're a mess. On the inside, we're so insecure in who we are in Christ that the least bit of pressure from the outside causes us to fall apart. I was thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning, and this is not going to be on the screen. But if you have a Bible or your phone or iPad or MacBook Pro or whatever you have, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this. He says, in, in looking at how they're being persecuted and, and the glory of Christ, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. He's like, we're getting 
oppressed on every side, attacked on every side, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed and yet we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we know even in our persecution in this world, when we feel like we could be all alone and we're, we've been abandoned, we know this, that God has not abandoned us. He says we're struck down, but even when they come to us and they strike us down, we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And so he's telling us, look, all of this is going on. Even though death is being carried around in our mortal body, it is coming. We can feel its presence. We feel the pressure. We feel the persecution. He's saying, look, even though we are pressed, even though we are perplexed, even though we are, are being persecuted from every angle, there's something in us that is so solid and so secure that come hell or high water, all the pressure of hell can come against us. But because it is true that the one who is in us is greater than the one who can bring this pressure, all the pressure in the world cannot destroy us. It's the difference, and I use this with our staff a lot, it's the difference in squeezing a baseball and squeezing a tomato. You squeeze a baseball, what happens? Nothing. Squeeze it and you can be your strongest guy in the world. Squeeze it all you want to, you're not gonna crush the baseball. But you can take pretty much anybody in this room and they squeeze a tomato, what happens? You get a mess. That's what's happening to the church in the United States. That's what's happening to the church all around us. We're so insecure in who we are in Christ. We've so gotten away from just trusting in Jesus and standing firm in the faith that the least pressure that comes against us squishes us like grape. Is that Mr. Miyagi that said that? Yeah, we just get squished. We just become a mess. Paul doesn't want this to happen to these young believers, to these young Christians, these baby believers. And so he's writing to them. He's encouraging them. Don't be squashed in this. Be secure. Stand firm in the faith. Hold tight to Jesus. Hold tight to the promise that he's going to return. Hold tight to the promise that your future is secure in him. Don't look at what's temporary to find your hope, but look to what's eternal, trusting in Jesus and holding on so that when the pressure comes and you feel abandoned and you feel like everyone has walked away from you, you hold firm in the faith knowing that Christ is with you. He is in your midst. He has got your back. He has got you covered. And the pressures that come from the outside cannot destroy what's on the inside, nor can it destroy the future that you have in Jesus. And so he tells them, in verse two, he says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He begins so many of his letters this way. Why? 
Because the two things I think they needed more than anything else was God's grace and his peace. They're being persecuted. All hell is breaking loose around them. And he says, first of all, remember that grace has come to you from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is his unmerited favor. It is his unconditional love. But don't forget, church, here, and it is even more than that. It is God's power and ability in us to do what we cannot do in ourselves. It's God's power and ability to do through us what we cannot do through ourselves. He's saying, don't forget that this has come to you from God the Father who loved you so much that he gave his son, that he's revealed his son, that he's given his spirit, and that now you can walk in these things. Don't forget this. He tells them too that Peace has come to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Now we've been made right with him. But it's, it's, it's a word that means much more than just kind of tranquility. It's a word that means now that you're in Christ, that you've been bound together, that you've become one with Jesus, one with the Father, that the Spirit indwells you and you've become one body under the headship of Christ. What he's wanting them to see is that he's brought harmony in your life that things are lining up now, that it's not just peace with God or peace with each other, but things are beginning to line up. He's saying he's brought peace from the sense of the hostility that, that separated you, has been torn down in Jesus. And so you can have this peace, this harmony together. Verse three, he says, we ought always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. Well, he says this, we ought always thank God for you, but why is he thanking God for them? Because they're good friends, because you know, they had a good time when they hung out together, because they go on vacation every year together. Why is he thanking God for them? He says, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love you all, all of you have for one another is increasing. Why does Paul thank God? Because he sees their growth. He's saying, I was only with you for three, maybe four weeks. But in that time, God did such a great work in your heart that now your faith is growing. That now I see the work and evidence of God in you. And see, here's the thing. If we're going to grow in our faith, we've got to grow in the realization and understanding of God's faithfulness. See, they were growing in their faith. They were trusting in Jesus. But the only way we can trust in him is if we're growing in our understanding of his faithfulness, recognizing this, that even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. I'm standing back there praying and kind of thinking through things as, as Chase is praying before the offering. And the thing I thought about is how oftentimes it seems we struggle with faithfulness. And I'm like, but here's what's so crazy and so amazing. God is always faithful. God is always true. God is always light. In him there is no darkness. God is always good. God is always patient. God is always loving. 
God is always there to be a source of joy. God is always kind. All of these things that describe God, he is always faithful in those things. If we can see his faithfulness, then we begin to grow in our faith. They were growing in their understanding of him, in their relationship with him. And out of that faith that is growing, their love for each other was growing. Here's something that is very convicting. How much is our love for each other growing in the church? How much, listen, not how's your quiet time with God, that's great. Not how, you know, how much of the Bible or the New Testament have you read? Have you checked all the boxes on the 412 reading plan? But is our love growing for each other? Are we really loving each other more? Are we, are we still kind of living in our own silo? Because the one thing that Jesus said that we would be known by, the one thing that would show people that we are his disciples is that we're growing in love for each other. But most of us, listen, this is, don't be condemned, maybe be corrected. Most of us don't have time to show up once a week for our connect group. We'll talk about how we need community, but it's not that important because we're never there. Don't be condemned, be corrected. Listen, if our thinking's off, let God's word teach, rebuke, correct, and train us back in line. It's why there's maybe 300 people in here right now, maybe. And here's the truth, don't be condemned, maybe be corrected. Out of 300, that means that there were probably 60 who were here last week. This is a nine o'clock service. It might be a little bigger than that. But see, here's the thing. That's not something where we need to look at it and go, oh, I need to be at Connect Group more. Or, oh, I need to be at church more. Those are great goals. Set those at the first of the year. Where we need to put our attention is that those are symptoms of something that's broken. If I don't feel a need for the church, for the people, not this building or the, the, the crap we've called church for so long. If I don't need uh, uh, to draw near to people and have people in my life who are pursuing Jesus the same way I am, then there's something broken in my fellowship with God. If I have no desire to worship him with those people, there's something broken in my relationship with God. That's where we need to focus. Our love for each other will grow if our relationship with God is growing. If our faith, our, our trust, our belief in him, our knowing him, our walking with him, if we walk in the spirit, we're going to produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. God is going to produce that in us. If we abide in Christ, that fruit is going to be produced. So the question is not, why am I not doing this? I got to focus on doing this. The question is, what's broken between me and him? Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. He's saying this is so evident. We, 
We're boasting in what God's done in you and is doing now through you. You being plural, not through Johnny or Jason in whose house they were meeting and who ended up getting drug away by this riot. He's saying, in all of you, I see this at work in you and we're boasting about it because you're in tremendous persecution. You're in tremendous trials and yet your trust in Jesus is growing. And, and it's so it, it, it's... It's obvious, it's testimony to us that our trust in Jesus is not dependent upon the circumstances we find ourselves in. But we see in this, he's saying you're going through hell, yet here's the truth. Your faith is growing. Your trust in Jesus is growing. Your, your belief in Jesus is growing. Your trust in his faithfulness is growing. And he says, we're boasting in that. Because, and he tells us in verse five, why? Why are they boasting? He says, because all this, what? Verses three and four, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And so what's he saying? He's telling them this, look, just look at the evidence of your life at the perseverance that you're walking in, at the faith that's growing, at the love you have for each other, and be encouraged because it is evidence that God is going to count you worthy of his kingdom. How encouraging would that be? They're going through all this stuff, and Paul says, look at where you've been. You started this little group of people who persecuted by these big group of people and yet you've remained faithful. Your love is growing. All of this is happening. We're boasting in it because it is so evident that God's judgment was just that when he revealed the son to you through our testimony that his spirit has indwelt you and that Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion is going to happen for you and you are going to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Don't look at what is temporary. Look at what's eternal and rejoice in the fact that Jesus Jesus has secured you in his kingdom. If you want hope, that's where hope is found. God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you. In other words, don't worry about this. They're going to be taken care of. God will make a just decision. Don't lay awake at night wanting revenge. Even forgive them as you have been forgiven in Christ as he teaches us in Colossians. You don't have to hold this against them. God is going to take care of it and he'll give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. He says, but listen, don't think it's gonna happen tomorrow. This might not happen tomorrow. He says, this is going to happen when Jesus is revealed from heaven. Listen, emblazing fire with his powerful angels. How I long for that day. power of God revealed when Jesus is finally once and for all revealed to all mankind. And here 
is a challenge to you. Listen, I want you to hear this and I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak this to your heart is this. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. My heart for you, my prayer for you, my concern for you is that you would do that on this side of eternity, not on the other. Before this tent fails, this body of ours that will not last forever, before it takes its last breath and before it is too late, I pray that your knee will bow to the Lord Jesus. This is really the issue in Thessalonians is they are claiming another king other than Caesar. And my prayer is that today that, that this question of who is the true king would be settled in your heart if it has not so that your knee would bow and your tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. but he's going to be revealed in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. Where is he gonna be glorified? In his people who are growing in faith and love for each other. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at. When's the last time we marveled at Jesus? We get so caught up in all this stuff around us. We don't take time to marvel at Jesus and what he's done and who he is. And he says, those who will be marveling are those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. He says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you. So what's he got in mind? He's got all of this in mind. And, and, and I do want to say this, that as Paul is talking about the internal destruction of those who don't believe, those who have not obeyed the gospel, those who've not followed Christ, who've not bent the knee and, and, and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord in this life, it'd be easy for us with our mindset to read that and go, get them, God. That's right. They hurt me. You hurt them. Anybody ever had that mindset? I have. They hurt me. They hurt my family. Destroy them. I don't think that's the tone Paul wrote this with. I think it hurt Paul's heart. Just as Jesus on the cross prayed, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I believe Paul carried that same heart. And the thought of people spending eternity separated from God, I believe broke his heart for two reasons. One, it was the soul that was lost and was eternally separated. But it was also the glory that God is robbed of when we don't worship him. I believe it broke his heart. With all of this in mind, their faithfulness, their growing in love in the midst of persecution, that God's judgment is right, that God's gonna take care of it. His judgment will be just, just trust. He says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you. With this in mind, with these things in mind, we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and for your every deed prompted by faith. But didn't he just tell them that they would be counted as worthy? So what's he saying now in verse 11 that, He'll make you worthy. 
Paul's gone through all this. Your faith is growing. Your love is growing. You're being persecuted. All this shows us that God's judgment is right, that he'll bring to uh, fruition what he's promised. He says, but even now, as you grow closer to him, as you walk with him, our prayer is that it's not just the worthiness that's been given to you by Christ that you you have, but that it is actually your life that begins to walk in a worthiness. In other words, it's what we call the sanctification process. It's the process that we grow into the righteousness that Jesus has already given us. But we don't grow into righteousness by just focusing on righteousness. We grow into righteousness by focusing on the one who is righteous. And when we begin to marvel at Christ, our motivation will begin to change so that our life becomes a life of worship, not one that we worship ourselves, but one that we worship Jesus. And we begin to walk, we begin to follow, we begin to abide, we walk in the Spirit, not because we have to, but because I am marveling at the grace of God. And he says this, and this is really the culmination of all his prayers. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the culmination of all of this? That Jesus is glorified in you and that you are glorified in him. That this abiding, that this walking in the spirit, that this faith and trust and belief that is growing, that your love for each other growing ultimately and primarily points to the glory of Christ now, even before he's revealed in blazing fire, that it points to the glory of Jesus, but also that you realize that what's glorifying for God is good for you. And he says, this even, even this is according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. His grace from first to last. His grace from beginning to end. What is grace? Unconditional love, unconditional favor, unconditional unmerited love and favor. Grace is God doing in us what we can't do in ourselves. Grace is God doing through us what we can't do through ourselves, through our own ability. How does grace come into effect in our life? By faith. I believe, I trust, I receive it. We fix our eyes and listen, listen. Back to 2 Corinthians 4, and this is where I'm gonna wrap this up. Paul having talked about the persecutions and all the stuff that's going on and all that they've been through. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And I want to speak that to some of you as I need to hear that spoken to me. Do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. He's like everything around us is falling apart. He said, it looks bad. Our bodies are beaten. We're tired, we're in a place of 
turmoil constantly around us. He says, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. What is he saying? He's saying because of our faith in Christ and the relationship we have with him, because the Holy Spirit is constantly being stirred up in us through this relationship, through his word, through prayer, through being with other believers, through worshiping God. He's saying this is being stirred up in us. So even though our bodies are slowly going into the grave, there's something on the inside of us that rises up every day. And it tells me that this is not going to be the end because I have a good God. I have a good Father who is not going to let me stay here. He is going to raise me up to where he is. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, sometimes we look at the, the challenges around us in the wrong way. I've done this this week. Challenges in the church, some of y'all. My tendency is to look at this and go, I'm done, I'm done, I'm out, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of, of dealing with it. But, but I know this is true that where there's an ox in the stall, there's going to be a mess. So I'm just going to leave the stall. I'm just going to walk away. This is what the Lord spoke to me today. And I wish you could hear this personally for what you're in and where you're at. I want you to hear it in your heart. Is that these light and momentary afflictions are earning for you. I can't even see it. An eternal weight of glory that far outweighs, that far surpasses them all. Here's my encouragement to you today. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See what some of you, and this is probably not a huge majority, what some of you need to hear is that in your walk with Christ, you sometimes wonder about effectiveness, maybe in your own life as a parent, as, 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 as a, a boss, as an employer, as a husband, as a wife, you look at it, you wonder, am I even being effective? And the thing I want you to see, I want you to understand is that as you walk faithfully with Jesus, as you live according to his word, as you faithfully proclaim his word, 
there are things being torn down in your life and around you and and Satan's kingdom is being torn down and you can't see it. Sometimes you feel like you're the only one praying. Sometimes you feel like you're the only one seeking. Sometimes you feel like you're the only one pressing. But this is what I'm telling you. When you're doing that, you don't see what's happening. But in the spiritual realm, the kingdom of darkness is tumbling. The kingdom of darkness is falling. And for you, I want to encourage you to continue on, to draw near to God as he draws near to you, to allow him to become your source of strength, your source of security, so that when the pressures come and, and the, 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 the bad call comes, the, the challenging circumstance comes, that you're able to stand and stand firm in the faith. Not that it's all going to be easy, but that you know that there is one who has hold of me. There is one who is inside of me that will not allow me to be crushed, that will not allow me to not endure, that will walk with me. And if I'll simply yield my life into his hands, me getting to the finish line is as sure as you sitting here this morning. These light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far, far, far surpasses, that far outweighs them all. 